Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, back from vacation amid growing calls to make expansion of the child tax credit permanent, critics charge those direct payments to families take us one step closer to a welfare state. We'll take a closer look. Also this morning, buying a car has always been an intimidating process. Now, more than ever, is it still possible to get a good deal on a newer used vehicle? And after recovering from the hectic schedule of the fair, Hancock County 4-H starts the whole cycle over again. OSU Extension educator Tori Kirian will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, October 18th, 2021. Today is National Chocolate Cupcake Day. I have a chocolate cupcake to celebrate my return today. Uh, or maybe you're not celebrating. Maybe you're, oh man, he's back. <laughs> it is also National No Beard Day, and it is World Menopause Day. I, will, I won't say anything about that other than just mentioning that it is uh, World Menopause Day. So um, this is the big news this morning. Uh, really big news. I saw this on the uh, on the Newswire and it immediately jumped out at me and said, this has got to be the first thing that we talk about this morning. The most important news of the day. Some people are howling about a new state law in California that could mean the end of bacon as we know it. As of January 1st, Farmers who sell their pork in California must now adhere to new guidelines that give mama pigs at least 24 square feet of space. Gestating pigs are commonly penned in crates that are about seven foot by two feet in size. The law will make pork products much more expensive, not only in California, according to producers in the industry, but nationwide. Uh, independent economists say it might cost Californians about $8 more a year. This is according to a report from NPR. But uh, it just it will not impact only those in California because uh, producers, of course, sell their products nationwide. And if they sell any bacon at all in the state of California, they will have to comply with these uh, new rules. So... So maybe uh, saying that the the end of bacon as we know it may be uh, a bit extreme, but it will make it even more expensive. And bacon, one of those things that has become much more expensive over the course of the past 18 months or so with the pandemic. Uh, And this is only going to exacerbate that problem. So big, big news. Bacon news always has to lead things off i mean that's that's got to be number one remember there's a story about bacon in the news so uh back from vacation today what is it this i i don't know if uh the uh, if the writers uh, knew that uh, i was coming back from vacation today when they i mean this is one of those stories that's on the national wire and it just happens to coincide with my getting back from vacation, but it's almost like they knew that I was going to be back uh, because this is the story. The first line of the story, again, it jumps out at me as I'm perusing the uh, newswire this morning, bringing myself up to speed. 
What is it about being in transit to a vacation destination that puts people in the mood? <laughs> Dr. Justin Lenmiller, research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, uh, says reports of <clears throat> fantasies taking place outside of regular home environments, such as in cars or airplanes, on a beach or at some exotic location, are extraordinarily common. Uh, this is a survey of more than 4,000 Americans that uh, Dr. Lynn Miller conducted for the Kinsey Institute. He says, these types of fantasies, <laughs> people let their mind wander, apparently, when they're on vacation, and is very common. Uh, he said it suggests, the uh, results of the survey suggest there is something to the idea that being outside of your usual environment enhances arousal. <laughs> he, he says this could, uh, this could be because we have broken out of our regular routines and the novelty can create a heightened state of general arousal. And for many, travel alone is kind of a, a fantasy realized. And it often has the potential to trigger um, amorous thoughts, shall we say. Uh, in addition... <laughs> in addition, I'm just going to read this final line of the story and then you make of it what you will. It says, in addition, the vibration one experiences on certain modes of transportation might be enough to get you physically aroused. <laughs> I just I'm bringing it up simply because it I swear it just popped up on the uh, newswire this morning. Uh, my first day back and I'm thinking I cannot say that I had those types of fantasies on my vacation. <laughs> nope. Just does not happen for me. So maybe I'm weird somehow, but I... Anyway. <laughs> Halloween right around the corner, of course. And uh, every year there is some new sexy Halloween costume that a manufacturer makes that... Uh, at least make some people cringe. These cringe with this year, the cringeworthy, sexy Halloween costume is by the retailer Three Wishes. It is the sexy vaccine costume. <laughs> the sexy vaccine costume. Basically, it is a uh, nude body dress, uh, mini dress with a headband that has a syringe attached to it. As if your whole body were a giant arm and the uh, shot was going into the arm. That's uh, apparently... I've seen it. It's really not much of a costume, but that's what it is. The sexy vaccine costume. The uh, founder, co-founder of uh, the uh, company, Sarah Chamberlain, says, We wanted to make the costume as simple and wearable as possible. We ended up with a, uh, a nude mini dress because it... Uh, could be interpreted as an arm with the vaccine going into it. It's a little obscure, they admit, but instantly recognizable. She says it was inspired by the life-saving vaccines that were created to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. And we obviously take the pandemic very seriously, but with everything being so divisive, we feel adding in a little humor can lighten the mood. So there you go. That is the cringeworthy, sexy Halloween costume of the year. Sexy vaccine costume. You're looking for 
a costume for your uh, Halloween party. And by the way, speaking of Halloween's, of course, this is the year for pumpkins, time of the year for pumpkin spice everything. And it turns out the pumpkins quite nutritious. Registered dietitian Christine Ganyan says the uh, orange fruit is packed full of vitamin A. It is a fruit, right? Pumpkin technically is a fruit because the seeds are inside. So uh, it's packed full of vitamin A, which is a nutrient that can lower the risk of developing cataracts, a common cause of blindness. Vitamin A also plays an important role in forming and maintaining soft and skeletal muscle tissue, bone, and mucous membranes. Pumpkin's also a good source of vitamin C, a nutrient that has long been associated with boosting immunity. And is a good source of potassium, which helps to contract muscles, among other things. In addition, consuming pumpkin could help you lose weight, as it is largely made up of water, is high in fiber. And as a bonus, pumpkins packed with antioxidants. So, it is a really healthy food all the way around. You have your... I'm not sure that that uh, translates to pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> or any of those pumpkin spice things. But pumpkins themselves, pretty doggone healthy. So don't feel guilty about that. And uh, what's the, the other story in the, in the news that I heard this morning? Apparently, they're getting new, new turf at Ohio Stadium. And if you have watched any of the games uh, this year, you know that the turf is getting a, a little beat up. You see a lot of players slipping and uh, and that's usually a sign that the turf is uh, ex- you know at the end of its useful life because it's hard to hard to get any kind of footing on the uh, on the turf. So they're going to tear up the uh, turf at Ohio Stadium. They're going to replace it. And this is the uh, this is the thing. This week, uh, the Ohio State University Department of Athletics will start seeking fan inspired design concepts for the new artificial turf. At Ohio Stadium, fan-inspired design concepts. What does that mean? This is the thing. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't really say. As uh, says, fans can submit their design concepts for what they would like the new turf to look like. And an internal department panel will review these submitted designs and ultimately create the new look of the field. What are they going to do? They're going to have. I mean, are they? Here's what I think they should do. Do alternating every five-yard strip, uh, alternating scarlet and gray, right down the field. You could do that. Um, I don't know. Is that what they're looking at doing? Maybe doing a, 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 a unique color, like a gray turf with a scarlet lettering or something like that, um, which would be a lot less jarring than the blue turf uh, in Boise. You've seen that, right? And um, so I don't know what it means when they say new design concepts. Are we just kind of put our own doodle in the end zones or something? I don't know what that means, but apparently you can uh, go to the um, it says here. uh, Some fan submissions will be shared on social media from the official Ohio State Athletics Twitter account at Ohio State Athletics. Um. And I think that's really what ultimately this is, is a big promotion 
uh, to get people talking about the uh, the team and sharing on social media and all of that. I, this is what this is. It's it's just a big. They're not going to take some crazy design and actually put it on the turf at Ohio Stadium. I mean, come on, they're not going to do that. But anyway, uh, if you uh, you can submit your design through Friday, October 29th. and um, the next uh, next year, by the way, an eight game home schedule is the first time. They'll play eight games at home since 2012. And uh, next year's home schedule includes Notre Dame, Arkansas State, Toledo, Rutgers, Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin, and, of course, Michigan as the final game of the year next year on the uh, new turf. So, anyway, I guess you can go to uh, Ohio State's Athletic Department website for uh, more information, but they're not going to actually just take anyone's doodle and put it on that. I have no idea. It's, it's a promotion. If you are interested, there you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Plenty of sunshine today with a high of 66. Clear tonight, a low of 45. Hancock Literacy was presented with a $4,500 donation from the money raised through the charity golf scramble the radio stations held last month. Kelly Bibbler, Hancock Literacy board member, says the money will be used to make sure kids in Hancock County from birth to age five have a book delivered to them each month. So that they get they get to go out to the mailbox and get to have that book and have it in their home and have it read to them. So that's through the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, and that's what these funds will go to, is enrolling those kids in that program. Kevin Hall, owner of Flag City Furniture and Mattress, also added $1,000 to that total, meaning Hancock Literacy has $5,500 to help them work towards their goals. Get more on our website. Deaths related to domestic violence in Ohio are up 62% over the past two years. The Ohio Domestic Violence Network says 131 people died over the past year, 86 victims of domestic violence, and 46 perpetrators. The agency's policy director, Michaela Deming, says multiple scenarios occur. A dating partner, a violent altercation, a domestic violence situation, law enforcement response. A record 15 kids died from these incidents. Dave James, I went in news. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Finley visited Donnell Middle School to check out the Real Money, Real World Financial Literacy Program in action. And as they explain these choices to the kids, what's really great is you'll see them pause. And they're making an evaluation. They're making a decision with those different pieces of information and trying to synthesize that into their yearly budget. Provided by OSU Extension, the Real Money, Real World curriculum emphasizes experiential learning by placing students in real-life scenarios. Get more on our website. The field at Ohio Stadium is getting a facelift, and the Ohio State University Department of Athletics is seeking fan-inspired color and design concepts for the new artificial turf that will replace the current turf next season. We have a link on our website where fans can submit their design concepts for what they'd like the new turf to look like. The first game on that new turf will be against Notre Dame in September of 2022. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you may remember the last time we were here before vacation, we were talking about the state of the real estate market and how tight inventory and rising prices can make it an intimidating time to buy a home right now. Well, 
it is much the same in the automobile market as well. Vehicle prices, both new and used, have hit all-time highs. And with the industry still feeling the impact of the pandemic, everything we thought we knew about car buying has changed dramatically. And joining us this morning is Matt DiLorenzo, Senior Managing Editor of Kelly Blue Book. Matt, talk a little bit about this current state of start, uh, of car shopping. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, I haven't, Chris. I, it's, it's really um, unprecedented that people are actually paying MSRP or close to it. Um, there aren't as many vehicles available on the ground. I mean, if you drive by and look at your local dealership, you'll yeah. see they don't have uh, nearly as many cars as they normally do. Um, and on the flip side of that, people are getting record um, prices for their used cars. So yeah. you're getting great trade-in values. Uh, the problem is that if you're trading in on a new car, you're going to see a lot of that gain kind of disappear in the higher price you'll pay for your your new car. So right. kind of a topsy-turvy world right now. The uh, chip shortage is often cited as the main reason for mm-hmm. the shortage of inventory and the resultant higher sticker prices, mm-hmm. both new and used vehicles. But can you trace all of this back to that or are there other contributing factors as well? Well, I think it goes uh, all the way back to when the industry shut down for the pandemic uh, in the spring of 2020. They they shut down production for literally three months. That's three months of cars that weren't built. Uh, the market came back uh, quicker than they could ramp up. And, um, you know, e- even in slowdowns, you're still building cars. Well, they stopped building cars. Yeah. And so there are many ram- ramifications. We had tight inventories. Um, uh, the, the, then uh, exacerbating it was the, the chip, shipping delays, right. chip shortages, right. people buying more consumer electronics, cars themselves using more chips. So um, it became kind of a, a vicious circle. Uh, and, and so we're, we're not seeing as many uh, new cars on the industry is still trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that every used car was new once. So you take three months, that's, you know, a quarter of production out of, out of 2020 production. Those are cars that will never be used cars. So not only do we have a shortage now, uh, four or five years from now, there's going to be a shortage of four or five year old used cars. Uh, certainly, I mean, we're seeing that from the last, yeah. the last big, uh, downturn in 2008 to 2010. Yeah, very good. Uh, very good point. Almost 40 percent. Yeah. yeah. So there, there are no ten-year-old under five thousand-dollar cars out there right now. And given the fact that, as you were saying, there's really no precedent for this, what then should buyers consider when you know considering a a new vehicle? I mean, current year, new model twenty. Do we just you know look ahead to twenty twenty two? You know, since there's not a whole lot of 21 inventory there, I mean, what? How do you approach this if you are in the market for a new vehicle? Well, I think I think there's several strategies. I mean, if you need a car, a vehicle right now, um, I would uh, steer clear of of the more popular SUVs and pickup trucks. They're in the shortest supply and and going at uh, sticker or maybe even above sticker. Mm-hmm. Um, the vehicles to look at are the ones that people aren't particularly enamored with and, and 
People have been moving away from traditional midsize sedans, compact cars. Uh, those types of vehicles just aren't aren't as popular. Or even shop makes that aren't mainstream, like Mitsubishi and and uh, Nissan's been you know not as big a player as uh, Honda or the okay. Koreans. So. Um, you can pick and choose and you might be able to find a vehicle uh, you can buy. Uh, the other strategy um, uh, people are turning to is ordering cars. I mean, if you're going to pay sticker price, why not order the car exactly the way you want it and, mm -hmm. and wait six to eight weeks to get it? Um, so, uh, you know, Ford's been pushing that, although it's been a little bit too popular for them. They, they were, they were, giving incentives to people to order cars and just in the last week or so they're giving incentives for people to cancel their orders if they can find hmm. a car to replace it. Interesting. So you know, the, the, we the, the industry is still trying to figure all this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, again, speaks to the fact that there's really no precedent for this and everybody's trying to, to figure out uh, how to navigate all of the weirdest thing right now in the automobile market for me is, as I look at this, the fact that we are actually seeing in some cases vehicles appreciate due to this perfect storm of factors. The last time we saw anything close to that was when compact cars suddenly spiked in value during the gas crisis of the mid-70s. So if you are selling a vehicle and wanting to get out from under a car loan, that's a, not such a bad thing. But for the rest of us approaching buying a used vehicle, how do we get through the car buying process without having to pay a premium? Or is it just unavoidable? Um, it, it is avoidable. The, the question is, um, what are your expectations? If, if you want to spend on a used car, for instance, let's say you were going to spend twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars on a mid-sized car, you may end up spending that kind of money on a compact car, on a smaller mm -hmm. car, or on a car with less equipment. I think I think the key here is getting your expectations for what you can get for your money in line with the market, rather than going out there and expecting to buy a car the same way you would have bought it a year ago. Yeah. So, um, again, that means maybe downsizing a little bit, um, shopping a car that may be a couple of years older than what you were planning to do if you were in the used car market. Um, the, the thing is that you're going to pay more. I yeah. mean, used cars right now are at record values. The average used vehicle on sale today is $25,000. Yeah, then and not all that long ago that was the average price for a new vehicle that was the average price of a new car yeah. exactly and and, and here's a, and a new vehicle is going for 45,000. Yeah. So it's crazy right now. So here's the big question and maybe this is asking you to kind of peer into your crystal ball, how long is this going to last? I mean, certainly vehicle appreciation is not the new normal. Are there any kind of factors that would give you an indication of how long this might last? You know, um we're starting to see new vehicle um sales actually slow down somewhat. So um, the market has a way of correcting itself. People get tired of paying, you know, uh, full sticker. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally incentives have run at about 10 to 11% of the sticker price of a car. Currently, they're un around 5%. So uh, the incentive rate on average is half of what it normally should be. So if people decide that they can wait 
that they can hang on to their cars and uh, demand slows down and the manufacturers have a chance to ramp up production a little bit. I, I think by early next year, we may be looking at um, a market that looks a little bit closer to normal than, than what it does today. Again, uh, Matt DiLorenzo is Senior Managing Editor at Kelly Blue Book. Just like every other big-ticket item, uh, it is uh, unprecedented times. Matt, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Well, recently, another round of direct payments to families with children went out from the government, all part of the child tax credit expansion that was included in the so-called American Rescue Plan signed into law back in March. Now there is a growing call on Congress to make that program permanent. And joining us from the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights is policy analyst Ariel Atherley. And Ariel, your argument is that the child tax credit expansion has improved U.S. economics, and you say you have data to back that up. Yes. Um, So as many folks may know, the child tax credit has actually been around for a very long time. It is a tax cut for families. And in March, Congress expanded the child tax credit to include several key changes. So first, the amount of the tax credit increased from $2,000 per child to $3,000 per child between the ages for children between the ages of 6 through 17 and $3,600 per child for all children under the age of 6. So Ohio families can claim their payments at childtaxcredit.gov and get more information about the child tax credit there. The other thing the other thing I'd like to share is that half the total credit amount is being paid in advanced monthly payments. So that means that's up to $300 per child per month. And another change that was made is that the credit was made fully available to all families that need it, regardless of income level, which has been an immense help to many families in Ohio and across the country. Currently, 67.3% of Ohio families have actually received the child tax credit payment, while 32.7% have not. So if you are part of that 32.7% in Ohio, please sign up to receive your payments and your back payments before they end in this December. Ohio families have already been using this money to pay for school supplies, uniforms, utility bills, and child care, which means that the child tax credit is really giving everyone crucial help at this moment. You know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, the ways in which families have been putting these funds to use. Um, And some of that conversation, it seems to me as as if it's it's getting lost i mean you talk about uh, parents paying utility bills obviously that's very important for uh, children and families but this is specifically uh, supposed to benefit children uh specifically and it, it just seems like we're we're losing sight of what this was intended to you know, what the selling point was from from the very beginning, aren't we? So I'm glad you asked that question, Chris, because I think what this really boils down to is that no family in America should struggle to get by. And so we really have to think about the child tax credit as an investment in our children's futures. When children have access to stability in terms of their shelter, their home, their educational and health benefits, it really makes a difference in the whole child's well-being. And so a permanent child tax credit expansion really is something that provides work income, educational and health benefits to not just to recipients and their children, but it also helps to uplift children out of poverty, um, including those 
previously excluded from the child tax credit. So I'm glad you asked that question because I think, you know, we have to really think about what kinds of supports are needed to make sure that children have sort of safe safe environments to sort of be growing up in. And, and I think the child tax credit, as we've seen, is something that helps families create those sorts of stability for children. I guess the, you know, the, the point being that the critics say this is just an expansion of the welfare state dressed up as helping out children. So I think that there are a couple of things that we might, you know, want to consider as we think about the child tax credit. Firstly, uh, the families that are receiving the child tax credit, over 95% of them are working families. This is really a tool that is something that is helping to benefit people that we know have been struggling and over the course of the pandemic. And really what it boils down to, as I mentioned, is making an investment in families. And that looks like, you know, making sure that the things and the supports that children need are are cared for and being able to take the families are being able to provide those things um, to make sure that children are supported and have the have the kind of stability that they need. And so I think, you know, when the when the children, when the families are supported, that also creates a situation for the children to be able to thrive. And and so I think it's something that really uh, kind of moves supports all American families in that way. Now, you have the support of the president on this. He has talked about making this program permanent. And broadly, uh, I think there is a lot of support on both sides of the aisle, uh, conceptually at least. But of course, right now, the president is asking for a lot already. And the uh, question or the argument here uh, on this, as well as much of everything else that the president has on his agenda is the cost. What uh, what exactly does a permanent child tax credit expansion look like? Are we talking about continuing these uh, month-to-month payments? Are we talking about, you know, what is the price tag here? I mean, break all of these numbers down for us. Sure. So a permanent child tax credit expansion looks like making sure families do not go back to living in poverty, and that includes kids previously excluded from receiving the child tax credit. And as I mentioned, the changes to the child tax credit have had an enormous impact for families across the country. And it is expected, actually, that it will lift 4.3 million children out of poverty, more than half of which are children of color. And it's also helped to reduce poverty by 40%. So like I said earlier, this is an overdue investment in families of color. A permanent child tax credit also looks like parents, guardians, and other caretakers not being stressed about where they'll get money to pay the bills on a monthly basis. And making the child tax credit permanent also looks like families, including those previously excluded from the child tax credit, having the crucial help that they need to pay for school supplies, uniforms, and child care. And I would also note that I, that 92% of Ohio kids have benefited from the expanded child tax credit, including about 900,000 kids in Ohio who would be lifted above or closer to the poverty line. So what we're looking at here is really addressing some of the issues that are facing families and making sure that parents, you know, are, are able to kind of make and make parents and caregivers, which is an important distinction, are able to make ends meet for their children and their families. It's important that families benefiting from this reach out to their representatives in Congress to express how much the child tax credit has meant to them and to underscore the difference it's made in their lives and to urge uh, Congress to make this permanent. Because ultimately, it is the voices of the families that are going to encourage policymakers to help make the child tax credit permanent. 
Again, uh, Ariel Atherley is policy analyst, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Where do we get more information? Yes, so childtaxcredit.gov is going to be your number one resource for getting information. The child tax credit advance payments are distributed every month and are scheduled to end on December 15th. So if you are not already receiving your payments, please visit childtaxcredit.gov to claim your child checks, including back payments that you may have missed. Ariel, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Imagine seeing this at the airport. Uh, back on September 19th, so this happened, I guess, about a month ago, a little less than a month ago. Um, the early morning hours, a woman was walking around naked inside the Denver International Airport near gate A37, <laughs> specifically. Denver police say she appeared to be carrying some kind of water bottle as she wandered around, stark naked, and they uh, quickly intervened and attempted to get her to cover up. Video footage shows her laughing at police and then skipping away, asking bystanders, how you doing? Where are you from? <laughs> Just making small talk. <laughs> Paramedics were called, and the woman was taken to a nearby hospital for analysis. Authorities believe the woman was experiencing a uh, mental breakdown at the time. <laughs> Alrighty then, and go to uh, go to the airport, get a little show there while you're waiting for your flight. <laughs> By the way, speaking of the airport, did you see this? A little word of advice. And you're traveling for the holidays. Before you leave the house, make sure you know where your pets are. In a post on Facebook uh, from a couple of weeks ago, Jared Owens, age 39, and his wife, Christy, age 36, said they were due to fly from Texas to Las Vegas when they tried to check their baggage at the, uh, at the baggage counter, the airline counter, and they were told that their suitcase was six pounds overweight. They were confused because they had carefully weighed their luggage before they left and they knew that they were like right right at the uh, at the limit but no it was six pounds overweight they were told so they opened the suitcase to try and rearrange the contents and found that their dog had snuck into the, <laughs> into the suitcase and was trying to take a take a trip they didn't want to be left behind the couple says they're a little chihuahua icky had hid inside of one of their child's cowboy boots. <laughs> uh, the uh, Southwest Airlines employee, Kathy Cook, who uh, uh, was checking their baggage, offered to dog sit while the couple was in Las Vegas, but uh, they were able to hand Icky off to a relative who lived near the airport. So, <laughs> well, it was very nice of the uh, baggage clerk to uh, volunteer to dog sit, but still... <laughs> Icky was uh, almost a stowaway there. Can you imagine? I mean, if the if the bag had been underweight, I mean, if it hadn't been for the fact that it was six pounds overweight, they might not have found the dog until they got to the destination. Would the dog have survived the flight? I, who knows? But uh, in any event, also in the broken news this morning, 
Some people apparently really like postage stamps. And we're not talking about collecting postage stamps here. A woman from Houston, Texas, has been sentenced to 51 months in prison after she used fraudulent checks to purchase about $50,000 in postage stamps. Authorities say Shannon Gray was charged with bank fraud and aggravated identity theft. She admitted that in September of 2019, she had purchased the stamps from offices in Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and West Virginia using personal checks that were not hers. She was arrested in Mountville, Pennsylvania, after she attempted to purchase an additional $935 in stamps using another fraudulent check. She was ordered to pay back a little over $48,000 in restitution. So they apparently did not uh, order her to repay the entire uh, amount, but very close to it. I wh- Why would you purchase... Of all things, postage stamps with fraudulent checks. <laughs> you know, that that would make it a federal crime, would it not? I mean, that's not just a local crime. That would be a, a federal crime. But of all things to purchase with bad checks, $50,000 in postage stamps. Weird. Uh, Speaking of weird, uh, this out of uh, Chicago, where a man ended up being shot in a bizarre love triangle dispute that ended in gunfire over a kiss. A report in the Chicago Sun-Times, Claudia Resendez Flores was staying with uh, James Jones and his girlfriend in their suburban Chicago home until this past Thursday. Allegedly, that evening, Ms. Resendez Flores asked Mr. Jones for a kiss, which he declined, saying that he had a girlfriend who was sitting right there next to them. Apparently, uh, Ms. Resendez Flores did not take rejection well. She uh, grabbed Mr. Jones' gun and shot him in the chest. (laughs) just Just give her a kiss. She shot him. She has been charged uh, and is due in court on Tuesday. (laughs) Man, she really wanted a kiss, I guess. And finally, in the broken news this morning, Victoria Weiss is a teacher in, what is this, Wales, uh, I think? Um, Oh, no, 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 no. South Carolina. I'm sorry. I thought this was... I had another story out of... uh, From the International File in Wales involving a teacher, and we decided it wasn't necessarily worthy of the broken news, so I was a little bit confused. Victoria Weiss is a teacher, elementary school teacher in uh, South Carolina. She rewards her students by allowing them to grab a candy bar out of a prize box when they are particularly well-behaved. The red flags... (laughs) First sounded off after one student was told to pick out a prize and fished out a box of marijuana edibles <laughs> from, from the prize box. A prize box indeed. Uh, detectives, according to the local sheriff's department, detectives confirmed during interviews that Ms. Weiss uh, took the pack of edibles from the student and told him to pick something else. <laughs> uh, the student went back to the box and grabbed another pack of edibles. 
Uh, they are quick to point out that no student ate any of the products. And marijuana edibles are illegal in South Carolina. But uh, even if they were legal, probably not legal in an elementary school prize box. You know what I mean? That's probably... <clears throat> Uh, Ms. Weiss' house was searched by police, and lo and behold, they struck the mother mother load. They found even more of those edibles, which were packed uh, packaged in wrappers and bags with logos and colors that look similar to typical candy brands. She is now in trouble, and she is no longer an elementary school teacher at that particular school. So, Rocky Creek Elementary. The superintendent says... Uh, their school has a sterling reputation which will not be tarnished by the actions of one person. <laughs> okay. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This uh, update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Lance of OSU Extension. It's harvest season. Drivers will be sharing roads with combines and grain hauling vehicles. Please be alert, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this fall to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. It is not even Halloween yet. You might want to start thinking about shipping those holiday gifts that you might want to send to loved ones. Uh, FedEx, UPS, the U.S. Postal Service have all uh, released their final dates for shipping Christmas gifts this year. And uh, like everything else, because of the pandemic and uh, employment issues, labor issues, and uh, you know all of these things playing a factor. The dates are earlier than normal. According to the Postal Service, if you want your packages to get there on time and uh, want to send your uh, packages retail ground, you need to mail them by December 15th. Uh, first class packages must be shipped by December 17th. And priority mail needs to be in the mail by December 18th. So mark those dates down. Overall, the Postal Service recommends customers mail gifts before December 6th, as that is the date when customer traffic increases significantly. December 6th is very early. Uh, FedEx has similar guidelines. Home delivery and ground packages must be out by December 15th, FedEx Express Saver and 3-Day Freight have limited flexibility but must be sent by December 21st. FedEx 2-Day Packages by December 22nd, hence the name 2-Day, two, 2 days before Christmas. Uh, UPS for 3-Day Select Shipping need to mail your stuff by December 21st, again, uh, hence the name 3-Day Three days before Christmas, two-day air by December 22nd, next-day air by December 23rd. But you're not going to want to wait that long. I mean, certainly there have been a, a lot of stories in the news about shipping delays and so on. Are you going to trust the shipping companies, even with two-day delivery, 
Shipping two days before Christmas? Probably not a good idea. All domestic and ground-based shipping through UPS says will depend on the region, but will average between one and five days. So, and again, that uh, early day, the U.S. Postal Service says December 6th to be safe. Get your packages uh, out in the mail. And I would imagine that's a good rule of thumb for all of the shipping services. Tori Kirian is here uh, from the uh, Hancock County OSU Extension 4-H program. You just uh, recover from the hectic schedule of the fair, and uh, then the cycle kind of starts all over again now, right? Yes, we finished the (laughs) fair, and we rolled right into recognition time, school Mm -hmm. programming time. Um, Normally, people think 4-H, they think the fair and the normal projects, but we also do a lot of in-school programming as well. Yeah. Um, so as a matter of fact, I know the, uh, real world, real money, real world program is a, a perfect example that we were talking about that in the news. Uh, treasurer Robert Sprague was in town, uh, yes. helping to promote that. And obviously that has been a very successful program. Yeah. So he was here on Friday for our, um, simulation at Donnell mm-hmm. and, um, a few other representatives from his office as well. And we had our second, that was our second event of this year. And I was going to say, it's not done just at Donnell. You do that at a number of schools. Yeah, we've done it at Glenwood and Donnell so far. Mm-hmm. Um, we're currently working on our contact since the three of us are fairly new. Yeah. Um, and so it's definitely a great program for the kids. It's fun to see them. You know, we ask them, so were you looking forward to this most? I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> did you have fun? Yeah, kids are really expensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're it, right. It, it, yeah, it is a uh, well, again, a real money, real world type program, mm-hmm. but it's done in a way that makes it engaging and uh, exciting for the students. I mean, they get a lot out of it, but they have a lot of fun in doing it. So, yeah, we spend uh, two to three days in the classroom beforehand, um, teaching them, you know, about what affects their income, what ed- what more education will do their income. Um, explain deductions and taxes. Um, we have Karen Tashler from the Hancock Federal Credit Union come in and teach them how to write checks, how to utilize that checkbook register, and how financial institutions can assist them. And then we put that all together on Friday, and they visit a number of booths and choose, do they want the thrifty meal plan? Do they want the moderate one? Do they right. want the more extensive one mm-hmm. based on what their monthly income is? Yeah, and they will have different career paths and mm-hmm. you know all of these choices they make it again is a real world simulation is interesting i don't think a lot of people realize that there is uh so much background that goes into that before the they actually go through the program themselves you said several days of going over those basic financial skills so that they uh then are able to put those to use and see how those relate to a real world situation most definitely this is a program that is utilized across ohio too so Mm -hmm. um outside of hancock county i know that some people the extension staff goes in others the teachers just teach and then we come in for the simulation and Mm -hmm. it happens at the seventh grade level and then at various levels in high school as well yeah so Great, great stuff. I mean, how many times have we said this? Uh, this is stuff that kids really need to know, mm-hmm. and uh, this is an opportunity to get that that basic information uh, into their hands and into their brains. Uh, that's just one of the programs, though, that you do within the schools. You're looking at expanding uh, that programming and, and doing much more uh, in conjunction with the schools. Yeah, so we actually just met with some of the principals, um, like I said, we're trying to make those contacts mm-hmm. to see who would be interested. I know Breads of Harvest is one that's 
very popular throughout trying to reintroduce that. Um, but we also have, we are one of 44 counties. Um, we're in round two, some had training last year, of a partnership with Apple. And so our office will be receiving 25 iPads as well as some Spheros that we can do um, programming, aiming at middle school, but we can do some elementary as well, just to introduce kids to some of the uses of technology beyond just scrolling through Facebook, playing games. Um, we can do some coding programming as well as creativity programming. Um, we have curriculum for photos, drawing, videos, music, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So to come... A lot of uh, real, uh, again, real world applications of the things mm -hmm. that, uh, that they are uh, already maybe familiar with, too, in, in that case. So how how good is that to be able to be back in schools now? Uh, because obviously the past year has been very different. Uh, and, and so kind of getting back to sort of a more normal sense of, you know, doing what you do in the way that you do it. It's definitely really exciting, and it's great to see the kids being able to engage with each other in person and then engaging with us as well because, you know, they don't know us. And so we go in there and work on building those relationships and then potentially lay that seed for them to get involved in our program as well. Yeah. Um, it, it yeah, I, talk a little bit about uh, circling all of that back to 4-H, because as we've talked about before, 4-H is much more than just a program for farm kids mm -hmm. uh, these days. Yeah, so whenever we go into the school programs, I like to ask the students, "What do you, do you know of Extension? Do you know what we are? And then turn it into, okay, you, don't, you might not know of Extension, but do you, have you heard of 4-H? Mm -hmm. And so... When we ask them about if they know 4-H, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a part of that. Mm -hmm. And then others are also like, I've never heard of it. Have you been to the fair? Yeah. Okay, cool. So what projects do you think? Like, what sort of things do you like? And some kids are like, oh, I like playing video games. I'm like, okay, we have a robotics project. Somebody said they like drawing and art. I'm like, okay, cool. We have a get started in art project. So there are projects for anyone if we don't have a project for you you can do a self-determined project and almost create your own project in mm -hmm. a way so it's definitely fun to see them be like okay you're a 4-h member today you're a 4-h member this week <laughs> yeah and oh yeah, yeah, uh, and and Hancock County 4-H has been a longstanding uh, reputation as one of the most solid 4-H programs uh, in the state. We've got a lot of kids that are involved and obviously always looking uh, to even broaden that further. You were speaking about uh, recognitions mm -hmm. uh, for 4-Hers uh, and things? Yeah, so we actually just had our celebration of 4-H last Tuesday, um, and it's where our 4-Hers can fill out um, individual honor awards. They can fill out achievement awards. Um, achievement awards are further down. Um, but county awards, mm -hmm. um, they can turn in their secretary and treasurer's books to get um, selected to see which are the top. And with the individual honor award, I think it's awesome because it's a almost a competition for the kids against themselves to see what how many activities they can be involved in, what can they try out. And so with the celebration of 4-H, they would come in and get their little prizes and then at eight o'clock we um, recognize our top awards and so we have our Danforth I Dare You Award and our Outstanding 4-H'er and so those are some of the older members but it's fun to get to see them be recognized and being proud of what they've done over their mm -hmm. the years of participation 
recognition above and beyond the recognitions at the at the fair for mm-hmm. the animal projects for the uh, still uh, mm-hmm. still life projects and, and and so on these are additional uh, recognitions for uh, other involvement yep yeah. that's their involvement throughout their time and yeah um so and, and again you know we go through like most of us i, I think the average folks uh, think you know we go th- go to the fair and we see the projects and we kind of see the end result and we were talking about it during the fair obviously this is a year long these are year long projects again whether we're talking about animals or any of the other uh, things that you uh, have going on in 4H um and that cycle is starting all over again right now so it is it is we're finishing up our 2021 cycle and come november we're officially the program rolls over and enrollment can start <laughs> and if you want to volunteer you can join in so um, with that are you looking for uh volunteers and and signing uh folks up for uh, 4-h now is that is this the time for that yeah so november 1st is when we can officially if people are interested in be- being a volunteer that we can start that application process okay and getting the background checks done okay um and then Will it be accepting volunteers normally through February, just so we can get the training in, we can make sure background checks go through, and right. all those fun logistics? Yes, exactly. So, so now is the time to start thinking about that. Mm-hmm. If uh, if you have an interest in uh, becoming more involved in the uh, 4-H program, uh, one way or the other for uh, uh, young people and, and for uh, volunteers, uh, adult volunteers as well. So. Yes, and they even get their own recognition. That's coming up on November 4th as well. So we yep. think it's important to thank everybody. Absolutely. Uh, If folks have uh, more questions, I know uh, you're constantly updating the uh, Facebook page uh, with uh, information, things that are going on, and and so on. So if folks want to keep up to date with what's uh, happening with 4-H, that's the place to go, right? Yes, it is. We've got that link on our webpage as well, goodmornings.net. And again, uh, Tori Kirian, 4-H educator at the OSU Extension. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program once again. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the aftermath of pandemic-related work shutdowns has given rise to a phenomenon some are calling the Great Resignation. We have results of the 2021 Employee Stress Check Report. Interesting stuff to talk about until tomorrow morning. That is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.